This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. In this episode, we discuss James Cameron's Avatar. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. This is Anthony. And this is James. Today we're doing James Cameron's Avatar, which came out in 2009 on Rotten Tomatoes. It is 81% critic score, 82% audience score. So, you know, critics and audience are pretty much in agreement there. IMDb to 7.8. It follows a paraplegic marine dispatched to the moon Pandora on a unique mission and becomes torn between following his orders and protecting the world he feels is his new home. And this movie was visually stunning. We've never seen anything like this before. It is currently the most successful, well, the, mo- the biggest success film of all time. I mean, that makes no sense. Yeah, can you not please explain yourself? <laughs> the biggest film of all time. Not like most successful in terms of return on investment, but yeah. highest grossing film. That's I, what I meant to highest say. Highest grossing, yeah. yeah. That was way too complicated, guys. I mean, all you had to say was one one sentence. <laughs> hey, you know what? Sometimes my brain doesn't work always the right oh, way. Where, like, where? Like that's, sometimes I begin a sentence, I don't yeah. know where it's going. It's an improvised conversation. <laughs> it also had one of the biggest budgets ever. It was $280 million. That's before marketing. Usually films... Studios will spend between fifty to eighty million dollars for a marketing campaign. So when you see a budget, you get, definitely get to add on to it. So uh, Fox definitely invested close to four hundred million dollars on this movie, but they um, it was a great investment because this film grossed two point seven billion. So it was actually up to two point eight. Wow, two point eight one eight, I believe. Yeah, I think they had a re-release. The re-release to beat Avengers because Avengers took it, and then they're like, <laughs> no, 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 we gotta, we gotta Fox get it back. Like, no, well now Disney has it all. So because they re-released it in China, right, and it made like an extra like thirty oh, mil. Maybe I think that's what it was. Oh, no, during the pandemic, and it, it yeah, got during back, lockdown, and it got back up and broke Avengers. Yeah, they they released that last year in the middle of the year. So yeah, that was actually smart of them. But this movie, it's the, it still stands as like the only definitive three D movie that I'll. I'll say you should watch this in 3D because Same. it was filmed with 3D cameras, and I'm usually uh, not a fan of 3D. I don't think it looks great ever, especially when it's just like you know filmed in 2D and then they just post production it into 3D to make it suit the that format. And you know wearing the glasses, I never like. It's very uncomfortable because it's like a one size that's gigantic on your head, and that, they're always falling down my nose. If you wear glasses underneath the glasses, yeah, it's even it's worse. Like, yeah. So I was I never am a fan of 3D, but this film. We saw it in IMAX 3D, and I remember just being absolutely blown away by the visuals, by the immersion into the world that James Cameron created. The visual effects were really suited suited to 3D because they designed the film for the 3D experience. It wasn't like a post-production, let's just make it 3D with, with uh, editing. They filmed it that way, and so I think that the immersive quality of Avatar in IMAX 3D was one of the, the best fil- um, film experiences I've had in a while. Yeah, I think it was the mo- one of the most immersive films you'll ever see, especially if you saw it 3D IMAX like we did. That's like the best way to see it, which is, it wasn't in terms of like, um, in terms of inflation, the highest grossing film because the ticket prices it's were still pretty gone expensive. With the, win. the ticket prices were expensive, especially if you saw 3D IMAX. That was they were jacked up pretty high at the time. For inflation, you have to look at <clears throat> the best way to look at it is the number of tickets sold. So Gone with the Wind sold 200 million tickets just in America alone on its release um, over a period of several months. So that still is the the king of the mountain when it comes to. Um, and f- when you adjust for inflation, Gone with the Wind is still number one because, you know, even like uh, Avengers Endgame, 
they sold like 120 million tickets. Still a lot. It's still a lot, but it's not even close to 200 million. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Gone with the Wind is still the king of the mountain if you look at it in that regard. Now, before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to, be, is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast, where you get awesome perks like podcast schedules, personalized videos, Patreon shoutouts on the show for top tier patrons and Godfather tier patrons, as well as weekly bonus episodes. And our Godfather tier is a new tier. It's top of the mountain. You get Extra bonus episodes for just the Godfather tier. So you'll get two bonus episodes. Uh, we also just launched our podcast masterclass online course. So if if you want to start a podcast or you already have one, you want to improve your podcast, our 22-chapter, 46-video lesson course will give you all of the secrets behind the scenes of how we've got the success we've gotten with our show. The link is podcastmasterclass.teachable.com. Or just go to our website, RaidersOfTheLostPodcast.com. It is right there on the homepage. You can see all of our sources of content, our merch, our movie posters as well. Follow, subscribe, wherever you're listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. And let's get back into Avatar. And you know, James Cameron, this man, besides being the ultimate sequel creator, he brings the bucks. I mean, Titanic was the highest grossing film of all time for what? Almost 15, what, 20 while, years. Because Avengers Endgame in 2019 took it over. Mm-hmm. And then... Avatar. Well, so it was Titanic, then Avatar, Avatar, then Avengers, then Avatar again. So he's made two of the highest grossing films of all time, which is absolutely absurd. The thing with James Cameron is he's and he's always doubted whenever he's making a movie like uh, the entire crew doubted him uh, when he was making Aliens. Like uh, the, the British crew refused to like listen to him and do what he wanted. And he it was a struggle with him every day working with the Aliens crew. But he made one of the best sequels of all time. No one believed that Titanic would work. It took him a long time to get that movie made. And, two point two billion gross on that. Yeah, and studios were like, not they didn't want to give him the money to make this like passion project of his about a sunken ship. Like they didn't see how it would work and how it would be like worth spending that much money on. Because like, yeah, you can make a movie about the Titanic, but it doesn't have to be an extravagant um, CGI huge gigantic event. Um, that they didn't think that it would gross that much money, so no one would give him the money until he eventually he got it made. He's like, hey, I got Leo DiCaprio. Yeah, check like, out this guy's face. I got all I need. <laughs> and then the same thing with Avatar. When Avatar was in production and you know people were talking about it while it was in development and in production saying that it's not going to work and it's so expensive, it's like $300 million movie, what's Fox doing? I remember reading so many articles, like people were saying that it was going to be a huge failure, a huge bomb for Fox, and they were going to lose a ton of money. And James Cameron, he was just like thro- thrown, like just swinging into the wind, like doesn't, didn't know what he was doing. And then you end up with a, with the biggest success at the time, $2.7 billion. It's absurd. Like this movie, and it wasn't like the biggest opening weekend ever. It just kept making money. It was word of mouth. It didn't like it. It's rewatched too. People were going to see it multiple times. It, it's not. I don't even think it's in the top ten of opening weekend box offices. It's just, just it just never slowed down, and it just it never dropped off. I think it stayed in the top five for like months, and that still globally. That's a rarity nowadays in the modern era to have a, a movie still in the top ten of box office months after its release, and people just kept watching this movie. And I, I think it's because James Cameron understands that like what he does and what he wants to do is he wants to make. Something that audience has never seen before and something that you have to see in a theater, in an event kind of movie. And if you look at just his last two movies, you have Titanic and then Avatar. It's like two of the biggest event-esque movies ever done. Like just gigantic scale, grand filmmaking, amazing visual and special effects. Just the most epic films imaginable. And this guy, you know... Avatar was his, his next movie after Titanic. That's he, crazy. He, he that didn't was make in 1997, right? Yeah, Titanic. Yeah, there's an 11 year difference between his movie, 12 year difference between his movie releases, which is crazy. And he clearly understands that, like, if I'm gonna make a movie, I'm gonna make something really special that people haven't seen before. Yeah, I mean, The Terminator is a perfect example of that mm-hmm. too. And so, but, but I mean, in the last 15, in the years between those films, he was developing a ton of new technology, not just the camera technology that they would be using for Avatar going forward, but also, you know, he was obsessed with underwater submarine filmmaking and, and helping develop the technology to go deep underwater with cameras and with those little shuttles and everything. And he made those documentaries like Ghosts of the Abyss, Aliens of the Deep, Earthship TV movie documentary, Dark um, Expedition Bismarck. So Don't he, forget Piranha 2. Yeah, Piranha 2, but that was back <laughs> in the day. But he was he's going underwater for years, like developing amazing technology because he's such a smart guy. And that's, his, that's another passion of his, yeah, diving. But, and the thing with Avatar is this is something he came up with in the 90s. He came up with the idea, but he knew the CGI wasn't there, and he had to wait years for to be able to match his vision. And he, he wanted to make it to maybe have it released before 2000, like around 1999, but it would have cost like over $400 million, and it obviously wouldn't have looked even close to as good 
But he basically spent the, that that entire like fifteen, the ten to fifteen years from Avatar to from Titanic to Avatar, developing the technology and waiting for the CGI to match his vision. Because they spent a lot of time developing new cameras because they shot this on thirty five millimeter film. But Cameron developed what was called a Pace Fusion three D camera with his partner Vince Pace and his digital movie camera system that they developed to shoot. Uh, features in what's called stereoscopic 3D, which is basically this crazy camera rig that they came up with, where it's two cameras basically side by side, two yeah. lenses. And what happens is they created this beam splitter that allows the lenses to go inside of each other. And this is kind of, an, it, it replicates sort of what the human brain and eyes can do because we obviously have two eyes, but you know, our brain sees one image at the same time. They're put together, but that's what they kind of developed with this camera. And that's why, <clears throat> excuse me, in the opening act, when it's, um, it's Jake Sully and just humans that you're seeing, uh, it kind of looks a little different con- compared to other film. It looks more like digital camera work, and and it's the the motion blur is pretty much gone. It's because of this dual lens they were using. So when you see, you know, Sam Worthington and Sigourney Weaver, it looks there's something off about it in terms of it's a how it looks generally if you shoot on film. But then when it, it goes in full full on visual effects mode with the motion capture, it just looks amazing. Yeah, because when we talk about why this movie was so successful, I mean, the story's pretty solid, but it's nothing nothing we've never seen before, really, besides it being aliens on a different planet, but we've seen the kind of the similar story. It's like Pocahontas mixed with Dances with Wolves. Yeah, you know, we've, we've yeah. seen it before. It's really the spectacle. That's the biggest strength of it. The 3D, you know, like we talked about, we seldom see 3D movies. I saw Avatar, then the only other 3D movie I've seen in theaters besides that was Lion King, the new one that mm-hmm. John Favreau made. I didn't, that wasn't my decision, that was... <laughs> <laughs> my, my ex made us go see 3D. You know, we we did. It was fun, but was, I would have. I bet it was fun. I would have rather seen that in 2D. Um, but the immersive world of Avatar truly felt real with the 3D, especially if you saw it in IMAX because of that's how they filmed it, and it was absolutely incredible. I remember when we were at IMAX and the movie started. It took a little bit to adjust. It took me like mm-hmm. five to ten minutes to adjust because of the massive screen, the 3D experience. But the 3D was so different than other 3Ds I'd seen before, like when we were kids and everything. It just it felt like you were floating in that opening sequence with Jake Sully and like coming out of that chamber. It felt you were like you were there. And the difference is because other traditional 3D movies like. It's edited in post to B3D, and they're trying to get things like, you know, if a hand, if some, if an image comes closer to the screen, they accentuate that and exaggerate it. So it looks like you're, it's getting closer to you. And so they, they just focus on certain aspects of the image rather than the entire image. Whereas James Cameron, what he did was because they filmed it in, in 3D, the entire image is three dimensional rather than a couple of things. And so if you, you see the, if you can feel the distance in, of the scene behind Jake in those sequences and in the forest, you can feel, uh, different layers from the the foreground of the image to the background of the image and it really adds that quality of like you feel like you're actually there in the setting with the characters yeah because this created that 3d fad that was going on for a while a bunch of horror movies were coming out with like yeah. the trailers like axes were flying through the screen oh, yeah. <laughs> and like all sorts of stuff so everyone was obsessed with 3d but it didn't even look close to as good with this i not that i checked it up but i didn't have to i watched the trailers i'm like they're just doing it as fodder just to like get you to go to the theater to see their b horror film you know there's this knife flying at the screen on the in the trailer, it's like I don't want that coming into my face while I watch a movie. Yeah, and also in terms of the creating the three dimensional filmmaking process, um, the, he actually invented this process that's used nowadays. Where um, so for this film, for all the Navi scenes, everything that's mostly CGI, they filmed in these giant empty warehouse, and they had the actors in mocap suits, and they even give them dreads to make them feel like Navi as well. But most Navi, Navi, and it's like mocap suits and all the dots all over their bodies and leotards, and they filmed it in just this empty warehouse. And what, what what James Cameron did was he and his filmmakers, they created this computer program where as the camera is capturing the performers in the warehouse, it's it has a live viewing of a, a rough 3D model of what the set looks like in that scene. So they, they can literally see they're looking at like Sam Worthington and Zoe Zaldana on, in, in real life. And then the computer television screen shows their characters in a rough version of um, the Pandora setting. So that they can actually design the sets and do the cinematography and proper shots based upon what what the rough design of each environment looks like. So it's like basically like filming the computer animation live at the same time as motion capture. Yeah, it's incredible. And now it's a regular occurrence with mocap where they have the digital 3D sets while they're filming. But James Cameron and his team actually developed that technology. Yeah, they developed a lot of technologies besides the camera. So like the motion capture, the performance capture. Obviously, Lord of the Rings made this popular with Gollum and played by Andy Serkis. But James Cameron took it to this new level by developing obviously the the camera head rigs that they were using later 
later on in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but they developed their own versions of it, more cameras involved, and as well as the mocap body suits to talk about how Anthony was saying that they were creating a computer-based, a computer-generated image live on set to see what it looked like. So I have a couple of great quotes from James Cameron on this entire process. So this is the first one. The way we develop the performance capture workflow on Avatar is we have our virtual camera, which allows me to, in real time, hold the camera, it's really a monitor, in my hands and point it at the actors to see their CG characters. It's this amazing ability to quickly conjure scenes and images of great fantasy scapes that is very visual. When you're doing performance capture creatively, it's very daunting. It's very hard to imagine what it will look like around the actors and everything. But when you see it, you can have a virtual Im- image of what it is going to be like and you are there. And they also created facial performance replacement, basically FPR, which allows Cameron to d- Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Usually rework an actor's facial movements. So all these tiny cameras and the dots, everything that they're recording of every performer. So it's super important because let's say they have a line of dialogue that they have to change. They don't have to go into the mocap suit again. They don't have to get the sets. They don't have to re-record anything. They don't have to do more photography. They simply can redo all the facial movements that they have to in post-production with CGI because of the facial performance replacement and just do new audio recorded in ADR. Yeah, they record before they even film anything. The first thing they do is they record the actors alone with surrounded by like 20 cameras with lights all over them. And they record the actors using making all sorts of faces, everything they can do from every emotion to just moving their mouth and lips and their eyebrows and their cheeks just to get the motor functions of accurately of each actor that way if that happens they can replace it into the face but also like with with um planet of the apes with uh, caesar and with these navi their their faces their facial their faces aren't the same as humans you mm-hmm. know what i mean and the navi have like cat-like features and the nose and obviously much larger not exactly the same facial structure as a human being so they have to transfer like zoe zaldana's humanoid expressions physically onto this alien face and obviously the muscles are different sizes and different areas so they have to be able to accurately make it feel like that's really Zoe Zaldana even though it's not a human face but it still feels and looks like her. Yeah, and these these processes are are pretty common nowadays in films. Like a great example is Brad Pitt and Benjamin Button. They did the same kind of process with the several cameras on you, so that they can create and doing all the different facial features, so that they can recreate what they need to with just audio and dialogue with the CGI interpretation of the face that they can create. Uh, I believe they did the same stuff with the Social Network with Army Hammer's characters, yeah. the Winklevoss twins, so stuff like that. This probably pioneered, this pioneered it for sure, but now it's it's regular for these films. So Lord of the Rings originally pioneered it because in Lord of the Rings, the two towers, they were filming Andy Serkis just in a leotard, and that's it. No facial recognition. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No facial recognition, no dots, no nothing. It was just him in a leotard for the performance, and then Peter Jackson's plan was to just make a CGI creation completely wholly different from Andy Serkis to try and match his movements. But then as they were developing the technology, like you said earlier, Peter Jackson and his, the team, and his team developed the technology of motion capture so we can just literally take Andy's performance and put it into the computer-generated image. And then uh, Cameron's team, I think, improved upon that because just the, the, the realistic quality of the Navi is just so mind-blowing. When you watch these characters, because CGI characters, it's so hard to get to look like it's real, especially for a humanoid face, especially when people are speaking. You watch mouths move, and if it doesn't look real, it takes you out of the experience. But with these characters that they created, it really feels like it's Zoe Zaldana. It really feels like it's Sam Worthington or Wes Studi. It's an amazing accomplishment in CGI where when you watch this movie, you accept it completely. You don't question it. And the textures of the faces, the quality of the environments from the plant life to the forest to everything, the the robot suits, everything seems so tangible and amazing. Yeah, and you could argue that this movie, the CGI looks better than Planet of the Apes and like War for the Planet of the Apes, which was more recent film that came out. And not to say that that didn't look astounding because that blew my mind, but still like when you go back and watch 2009's version of Avatar, it's like, how did they do this in 2009? It, yeah. looks, it looks organic. The aliens look organic. All the environments on their home planet, Pandora looks real and organic. It's it's absolutely incredible. Even obviously the ships and everything that they create. 
great because 60% of the film was CGI. The rest of the was classic James Cameron practical effects for 40% of it. All the a lot of explosions and and huge sets which looked incredible. But I mean, 60% CGI on like a two and a half hour movie of this scale. It's I've never seen anything like which is gives me so much hopes for 2000, 2022 next year when Avatar two comes out because for him to wait so long to make Avatar waiting for the technology to, to reach his vision and then he waits another 12 years or 13 yeah. years it's like what's he gonna cook up now it's gonna be absolutely insane what they're developing you know the Fox execs are sending him emails every six months like hey James uh, how, how's it going hey you want <laughs> we, another two we, you want another 2.8 billion have some patience we need, we need a new another three billion dollar fix right here we yeah. need it <laughs> the last couple X-Men were not that great <laughs> we need your help <laughs> but I think that well Disney now actually yeah, yeah Disney <laughs> I think that Avatar 2 is going to be probably even more groundbreaking because like like I said earlier he just keeps surprising audiences and, and he he always all he does is hit home runs even the abyss even though it wasn't a box office success it changed um visual effects he he really ground made a groundbreaking visual effects heavy film with that movie and I think that Avatar 2 will be another special film I am so excited to see the first trailer to see the first images I have a feeling because it's coming out next Christmas I have a feeling we're going to be getting some content very soon because it's pretty common for a movie studio to release a trailer uh, about a year before it's released. Especially because he's making four others. So Avatar 2 comes out 2022, and then every two years after that, the next one. So Avatar 3 will be 2024, Avatar 4, 2026, and Avatar 5 in 2028. it's it's absolutely incredible. He's already in post production. So Avatar two is done. He finished it like six months ago. He's like, oh, it's done. It's yeah. it's great. You guys are gonna love it. Uh, Avatar three, I think they're still in post production. They're currently filming four and five right now. Yeah, he just did a great um uh, interview with Bradley Cooper, uh, like a like a director's discussion. And I'm not sorry, not Bradley Cooper. It was Denis Villeneuve, and he was he was talking about Avatar two. He said, yeah, it's in the can. Avatar three, they have a cut. It's, it's just an assembly cut, so they have all of the scenes cut together. And he said it's like three and a half hours right now, so they're trying to trim it down. And also they need to get a few more pickup shots of just like the live action stuff because Avatar 2 and 3, they're going to have stories that take place on Earth. So we're going to oh, Earth. Really? Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of stuff happening on our planet as well as Pandora and even other planets in the future. So he said otherwise that movie... They have all the footage they have except just a few pickup shots they need. That's really interesting because in Avatar, when they, whenever they talk about Earth, they talk about it as like being a dead planet and yeah. how there's no green. So it, I'm, a, I'm picturing kind of Blade like— Blade Runner. Yeah, sort of Blade Runner-esque. Also, um, the Foundation, the Asimov books, which is uh, there are planets that are completely— Oh, the TV series? Yeah, well, yeah, in uh-huh. the book. But some of those planets are entirely cities. Like there's there's nothing but city oh, wow. throughout the entire planet. So maybe that I'm assuming that's what Earth looks like now. I bet it's overpopulation and there's just no natural resources yeah. anymore. And people are probably eating like cloned food of just like, you know, grubs or something. Or even like processed food that's just like stuff from other like sci-fi dystopian films. I'm very curious because I think he wants to make a contrast between Pandora and Earth for sure. Because Pandora, it's it, it has the similar um, sci- bio- biology as Earth, where it has water, it has natural greenery. It's it, he he used Earth as inspiration because most in so many other sci-fi films, when you have other planets. The planets are generally one kind of environment. Like in Dune, Arrakis is the desert planet, and then um, um, Caladan is the water planet. So things like that, whereas he wanted it to be like Earth, where you have every kind of landscape or environment imaginable from a desert to an Arctic environment to a rainforest to, you know, like a city. So he used that as inspiration when creating Pandora, and we're going to see more of that when we see more tribes that he created in his imagination. We'll see in the other films, like there's going to be the water tribe is we're going we're to be spending a lot of time with in Avatar 2. I'm sure he has other ones in mind where Pandora is a gigantic planet with different kinds of environments set in that world. And I think he wants to contrast that with his future Earth, where it might just be just a dystopian, bleak, sci-fi uh, environment all around the earth. Yeah, and some of the other biggest strengths to this film, obviously, are, are the rewatch value, which is why it was so successful. Also, the story, the mythology behind it, you know, incredibly powerful, intimate story. It's really super interesting. Again, it's not a story we haven't seen before, but to put it into an alien perspective in the distant future is really fascinating. Also, this came out right after the crash in 2008, so you could argue that, like, the country and, and the world kind of needed something to, like, get, boost morale escape, or, or yeah. feel good about or, or, yeah, escapism for sure. Um, also, the themes are most prevalent are themes of exploitation, which we know most obviously in the Western civilization. And, you know, they spoke to many instances of exploitation around the world 
for resources and land, which is basically what's happening to the Navi and their home planet for these the Americans coming to get unobtainium. And but ironically, you know, if it since it's the most the highest grossing film of all time, it doesn't have like super diehard fans really, like kind of like Star Wars, mm-hmm. Marvel, DC, Star Trek stuff like that. You know, those are wildly popular franchises with fans that like their lifestyle is based around those movies and stuff. But I I would argue that. It's just it's an experience. It's not like something to obsess over. I think like that kind of stuff. No, I think it will happen. It's just because there's only one film. Yeah, maybe, all those yeah. other mo- all like people weren't diehard Marvel fans after Iron Man one. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, pro- yeah. it took several yeah, years maybe. of of the both all the franchises tying together. I think after Avengers two, people were like, "Oh, I'm a super fan of Marvel." And James Cameron, I think, understands that for a lot of people nowadays, the ability to have connections to characters in film over the course of decades. Like now, you know, people have had relationships with, you know, Chris Evans as Captain America for over 10 years, and it gives them a great amount of love towards those characters. It's America's ass. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's doing the same thing with Avatar, where he's planning out this scope of films where it's going to be, you know, six films over the course of 15 years, so that I think people will will develop strong relationships to these characters in the way that they have with Marvel. I think that I think that Avatar franchise may have maybe competing with Marvel in a big way, even though Disney owns it all, so they don't care. In like a decade. Yeah, but I think that the Navi will be very much celebrated, and you know you'll see the cosplay all over the place on social media and at, and um, Comic Con and stuff. So I think that the pop culture aspect of Avatar will grow as more films come out. Yeah, you're probably like because it just kind of disappeared from pop culture. Yeah. Even though at the time it was so big. Like, remember when Ben Stiller dressed up as a Navi? When yeah, he, was that <laughs> at the, the Oscars. Oscars? Yeah. That was so oh funny. My God. He just like went on stage and. <laughs> Full Navi and he costume. just had like this weird look the whole time. Like, this is probably a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're probably right. Once we get more, and I'm sure that you know now that Disney owns 20th Century Fox, and they'll probably do spinoffs and TV shows in like a decade. And you know, I mean, they built the amusement park. Yeah, you know, it's they they understand the potential and the power of the property. Absolutely. So if you're watching on YouTube or on social media, you may have noticed that Anthony and I have some awesome laptops in our desks. These are the LG Gram 17 inch ultra lightweight laptops. They're incredible because of their 16 by 10 aspect ratio, which means more vertical space instead of the widescreen format of 16 by 9, which is awesome for taking notes, awesome for editing episodes and clips of the show, but also phenomenal for watching movies. So if you're going to watch Avatar in your room, put away your your 12-inch laptop, your 15-inch laptop, get one of these 17-inch enormous LG Gram ultra lightweight laptops, and you will never regret the experience because, you know, I binge all sorts of stuff in my room on these now, not to mention they are shockingly light, and so we'll put Links to the in our YouTube video bio of this episode for the 16-inch and 17-inch models of the LG Gram Ultra Lightweight Laptops. Thank you so much to LG for these awesome gifts and for sponsoring the show for the rest of the year. And 2022 is right around the corner, everybody. And now is the time to finally get your act together and get yourself groomed for the new year. So I recommend going to manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. You'll get 20% off and free shipping your entire order from manscaped.com. Get the Lawnmower 4.0 Groomer. Anthony and I have been using it for what, like six months now? It's, it's been amazing. It's absolutely incredible. It's skin safe, waterproof, has a light in it, 7,000 RPM motor. You can use it in the shower. It's absolutely incredible. Not to mention Manscaped is launching a bunch of awesome new products for your all the needs you'll have for grooming yourself and take care of your body for men. Uh, they have their 2-1 shampoo conditioner. They have their body wash, which we've been using. But there's some more secret stuff coming in January that we can't talk about yet. But I'm very excited to get in and try for myself. They're going to basically cover all the needs we need on our day-to-day basis. So I also recommend their Performance Package 4.0, which is just a bundle of awesome gifts. So everyone listening, guys, get on Manscaped.com. Ladies and guys, if you got a man in your life and you need to get them a gift or something like that, Manscaped.com, Raiders of Lust at check of 20% off and free shipping. These are things that we will actually use for real. I mean, let's get into the film now, despite all the technology, which was all groundbreaking and incredible. And so I, I I think I like the characters a lot. Like Jake Sully's solid. I think Neytiri is my favorite character in the entire film. But, you know, not all of them are, are incredible. You know, I think some of them are forgettable. I think Giovanni Ribisi's character is great. Obviously, Sigourney Weaver, the, the queen of sci-fi. How many amazing franchises has she been a part of now? Mm. Um, I think the guy who plays the colonel is like a super crazy. Stephen Lang. Yeah, that, that's a crazy character as well. You need that intense antagonist in the film for sure. Yeah, I think it's a great cast. Um, but the thing with with Jake Sully, James Cameron actually offered the role to Matt Damon. Like, I want you for this movie. No, the studio wanted Matt Damon. No, James Cameron did. Did he? Yeah, and then uh, Matt Damon didn't understand. He didn't ex- understand the vision he had. And oh, you're right. And then he's yeah. That's he right. didn't think it would really work out. And James Cameron offered him ten uh, percent of the gross. That's right. Of the movie. 
and Matt Damon lost out on I think it's like 120 million dollars he lost out on something like that. Well, it's over. It would be over 200 million. It might not have been 10 percent of the gross, but it was he, quite he, a he lot. missed out on over 100 million dollars from Easy. not starring in this Easy. movie. Probably way more than it's that. Crazy. Well, then he wanted after that an unknown actor to play Jake Sully to yeah. give that like real guy quality that everyone can kind of relate to. Becomes this leader to transform an entire world and yeah. save it. A Sam Worthington did a great job. I yeah. think he's a good actor. He just he, his career kind of um, plateaued after he did a the Clash of the Titans two movies and then he did Terminator Salvation. I think that he just I, I think his mistake was going into these big blockbusters that weren't great movies and audiences didn't really accept him as a leading man. Well, not just as a leading man, just like the next action star. Yeah. I, I would say like he, he I don't think he fully has it. Yeah, he doesn't have like that. He's the good charisma. in Clash of the Titans yeah. and Wrath of the Titans. He's pretty solid, but like he he doesn't have that like that thing. Yeah. You know. He's, he's and he's great as as Jake Sully, but he's you know CGI most of the time in this movie, so I think that audiences don't really see him as like uh, the leading man in Hollywood blockbusters. Oh, he yeah. tried. I think he's a solid actor, but he's not like a movie star. Yeah, no, I agree. So like, I'm sure he's super grateful that they're going to be making four more of these, and yeah. he's like, "Let's go!" And then Zoe Zaldana, like this was her big breakout before she she was at Gamora in Marvel, and she had been in movies for a while. This was it. She's really so talented, and you got to see it in this movie. Like when when she's betrayed by Jake, and she's screaming at him after the the tree is destroyed. Like, oh man, that's so emotional. What she's so great at emoting, and she's just one of the talented act, most talented actors yeah. working today. I really like Michelle Rodriguez in this role as Trudy, who's the helicopter pilot. She's super cool and funny. It's just basically Letty. Yeah, she's basically <laughs> Letty from Fast and Furious. <laughs> I think Giovanni Ribisi and Stephen Lang play great antagonists, though. You know, Parker Selfridge played by Ribisi. Ribisi's a very underrated actor and he's like the the money and like the, he's the corporate interest of the film all he wants is that unobtainium and then colonel miles uh corich corich he's just like this lifelong marine just wants to stay in war he's like made for war he loves it he loves killing he loves taking lives he loves power like he loves power and controlling people and he's all about the mission he doesn't care who he kills yeah i mean he he calls the the Navi savages, you know, yeah. he views them as the same way as like, you know, uh, people back in the 1600s viewed native uh, indigenous people in America as savages. You yeah. know what I mean? Same. I think Cameron did a great job of paralleling those two um, perspectives. Yeah, you need these two horrible guys and these two horrible characters to really give the emotional stakes to the film and to create the plot of them basically going to destroy Pandora to get all the uh, unobtainium that they want. Yeah, and the destruction of the tree, it's really emotional. And it's so it's so well done because... You grow to love this culture and these these characters and Jake Sully as well. Jake Sully, you know, <laughs> bonding with them and be, you know being accepted by the tribe and you know you you fall in love with Pandora and then when you see it destroyed in such a devastating way, like they they destroy the tree from its roots and when the tree collapses and you know the citizens are running and trying to escape for their lives and then when they're looking on their ruined home and the tree is just burning up and just smoke everywhere. It's really devastating for the as an audience member. Yeah, it's so tragic. But how about we go into our intermission because we're like already like thirty something minutes go, into man. it, and then we'll get back into Pandora and everything. So let's begin with our movie quote competition. I got one. Let's hear it. It's a dangerous business going out your door. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. <laughs> Say it again. It's a dangerous business going out your door. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there is no knowing where you might be swept off to. Is it, um, I don't know, Bilbo Baggins? Oh, Lord of the Rings, oh. not The Hobbit. Yeah, that's when he's talking to Frodo. Okay, gotcha. I have one from a fan from Tevin Garvey. Thanks for the submission, pal. <clears throat> Silence. Keep your forked tongue behind your teeth. I did not pass through fire and death. To bandy crooked words with a witless worm. And then pass through fire and death. Pirates of the Caribbean. I have to. He didn't put it in. Hold on. I gotta, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta Google it. It's Gandalf. Is it? In, to, in Two Towers when he's talking to um the guy who's been cursing the king. Oh. Yeah. Oh, That's a right. great quote. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. What's your... uh? Movie release here. True Lies. It's a good movie. I'm going to go with 1994. Yeah. Yes. Right on the money. Kid. Oh, yeah. Right on the money. <laughs> I love Arnie. Okay. 
Here's my movie release year. The Terminal with Tom Hanks. Steven Spielberg. 1996. 2004. Was it that yeah. new? <laughs> <laughs> that was way off. <laughs> it's okay, man. All right. Movie pop quiz time. What TV show does James Cameron play himself in as a recurring character? <laughs> While making Aquaman. <laughs> Entourage. Yes. <laughs> he hires Vince's Aquaman. <laughs> All right. Here's my quiz question. What major Disney movie did Zoe Zaldana have a supporting role in before this? What major Disney movie? Yeah. What major Disney movie? Zoe Zaldana. Hmm. Animated? No. It's not animated. Not animated. I'll give you that hint. Okay, thanks. That's Appreciate very it. helpful. That eliminates a lot of movies. It does, because it's a lot of animated films that they've done. Quite a few. Um, Supporting role. Oh, man. Um, What's it going to be? I don't know, man. Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, you're right. Yeah, she's one of the shipmates. You're right, yeah. man. <laughs> she's great. All right, it's time for our Godfather tier shout out. Hello, Rocky Troop. Thank you for joining our Godfather tier, Patreon tier. It is the number one tier for the best fans of Raiders of Lost podcast. We appreciate your support. Uh, this tier gets you all sorts of things like a free sticker, uh, bonus episodes that only Godfather tiers have access to. And we, we appreciate your support, Rocky. You've been a fan of the show for a very long time. So thank you so much for your support. And uh, support of the week. So actually, I'm going through the re reviews right now. We have a, a bad hater review. Oh, really? Someone on Apple? I'm not even going to give them the time of day to read the review because they just went off on us because we made that list, the Empire list, I think. And Show it to me later. Yeah. And wow, this is pretty intense. It's on Apple? Is yeah. it one star? It's a two star, angry, very angry review. So I'm not going to give them the time of day. You can leave another two star review if you want and say what you want. But I'm not going to say your name. I'm not going to say the review because you don't deserve that because that is uncalled for. My goodness. So they're mad at us for having a different opinion from Empire? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The world we, we live in. This is crazy. The world we live in. They said we bullied them. We didn't bully anybody. <laughs> All right. Anyways, how about a, a positive one? Uh, flabbergasted. Wow. Unsubscribe. Cannot believe these dudes call it soda water without being ironic. <laughs> I think, yeah, obviously, because most people yeah. call it seltzer yeah, or, or sparkling. Aqua frizzante. L'acqua frizzante if you're Italian. But for a real great podcast, always learn new things about a lot of my favorite movies. Keep it up, guys. That is from What the Rare. And then here's another really nice one from from Gabriel Townsend. Gabriel. Unsubscribe like that two-star review did. I can't believe I haven't written a review for this podcast yet. I started listening and haven't missed an episode. You, these guys are awesome. They have gotten me through some tough times, and I feel like old friends. Thank you, Anthony and James, for everything you do. Please keep up the good work and continue to change lives. Wow. Thanks, pal. See? That's really nice. Yeah. Maybe and, should, I, should I read the bad one? Read the bad one. All right, fine. I want to hear it. Let's H hear it. Hater of the week, I don't care. You act like... <laughs> You act like movie purists. No, we don't. Nah. What? We just don't think Endgame is the sixth best movie ever made. Goodness. You bully anyone who disagrees with you and celebrate those who sensationalize you. I wouldn't, I mean, I really don't know what they're talking about. Who, who disagrees with us that we who bully? Who do we bully? <laughs> I've never bullied anyone. All we do is read comments that people write to us. <laughs> like, I bully Anthony. That's about it. <laughs> I don't care about your rankings because you spend more effort pronouncing a single word than I could ever imagine on a singular thought. Well, we're, we're broadcasting to thousands of people around the world. So we got to make sure our pronunciations, you know, uh, understandable. Yeah, yeah. Um, so sorry about that. So we'll we'll Don't say, say sorry. We'll say words Don't faster. Say sorry. And even though your voice cracks every thirty seconds, I think they're talking about you. It, it doesn't crack that the much. The departed not making your list, not even a top one hundred. I mean, if you go through Martin Scorsese's catalog, he's got at least five movies better than yeah, the Departed. Only, I love The Departed. Like number six. That's personal top hundred for yeah. me for sure. But like his movies are incredible. Just wait, wait. So he's bullying us now because we didn't put <laughs> The Departed in the list. The irony. The it's irony. Pretty ironic. <laughs> I mean, I love The Departed. I've seen the movie like fifteen That's the times. Con the contradiction between trolls is like there's a lot of movies that have been made that yeah. like you got to go through Scorsese's entire filmography. You got to yeah. put Taxi Driver. Goodfellas, Raging up there. Bull. Raging Bull has to be up there. Yeah. I mean, there uh, there are like five movies I think I would put ahead mm -hmm. of 
Taxi Driver, ahead of Departed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I know he won his Oscar for that, but that felt like a Lifetime Achievement Award because he should have won two before that. But they were like, oh, let's just give it to him now, I guess, because he made The Departed. Was there, it a phenomenal there, movie? There were a lot of movies made before the year 2000, and I think a lot of people don't understand. Yeah, we, you got to respect film because it's it's been over the, 100, 105 years of film. The irony with people online is like they act like they are the bullies and – they don't understand that they are bullying. It's so funny, the the contradiction. I'm sorry we bullied Empire Magazine, <laughs> a billion-dollar corporation. Don't, don't you dare hurt Empire's feelings. They, don't they, you dare. They bullied film yeah. by putting five Marvel movies on their top 100 list. Oh, it was more than five. They, they bullied film. Yeah, they put Endgame. They're, Endgame is number four. And we're the movie purists. Oh, my God. Goodness gracious. You got to oh, watch man. the movies, pal. Yeah, dude, dude. I don't even care. Hey, if anyone wants to offset that two-star two review, please go ahead. Yeah. All you need is an iTunes account. Yeah. Anyone can sign up with an email. Those are there forever. We can't do anything about that. <laughs> it is what it is. Honestly, though, if anyone read that review, they'd be like, this guy's very angry. Yeah, no, no one. Or girl. No, sorry. No one's reading that review like, screw this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, I actually want to watch it now. Like, this person seems like they're a little, they need a little help. All right, let's move on to <laughs> On This Day in Film History. Today is December 27th for all you movie purists out there. And 1914, the first feature-length silent film comedy, Tilly's Punctured Romance, was released starring Marie Dressler, Mabel Norman, and Charlie Chaplin. I bet he didn't even put a Charlie Chaplin movie in his top 100. Doesn't know who Charlie Chaplin is. Charlie Chaplin, like the guy who... Oh, these guys are so smug talking about <laughs> silent film. Like, oh. In 1937, the first full-length animated feature film and earliest in Walt Disney animated classic series, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, premieres at the Carthay Circle Theater. Am I pronouncing words too slowly, guys? Let me know. Can you focus a little bit more on your pronunciation? So speed faster. So talk faster? Yes. Happy birthday to Jane Fonda, Samuel Jackson, Julie Depley, and Stephen Young. I got, and we also have a very special Christmas shout out. <laughs> Our friend Joelle has shouted out her boyfriend, Wes LaBelle. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, Wes. Wes is a big fan of ours. We always communicate with him on, on Instagram and stuff. So he's a great fan of the show and we hope you had a great holiday. All right. What do you got for a streaming recommendation? I have The Witcher season two. I started, I watched the first episode of season two last night. It's pretty good. Yeah. I started it too. It's good. It's pretty epic. Yeah, I, like I like it, it. already. I mean, I like the first season. It just kind yeah. of fell flat for me, but yeah. I've already, I really like the way they're going with the first, the yeah, second season. I think it's cool. I think they're improving on it for sure. All right. Let's get back into Avatar and Pandora and this incredible world. So Pandora is such a fascinating planet. You know, I love how the concept of how people from Earth will never get the opportunity to go there, but they've heard of it. It's like probably in the world culture of like we're traveling to Pandora and obviously Earth because they've used all their resources. They're trying to get resources from other planets. And we can assume that maybe they've colonized and taken over moons and planets all over the, the universe and the galaxy that we can reach and in the solar system and whatnot. But also when they find Pandora, which seems to be like almost a heaven-like planet. It's like Earth, but even better. <laughs> and unob unobtainium is a resource, that I believe, that has multiple uses of, of value. Is They can do lots with that um, resource. And it's actually been used in other sci-fi films and stories, unobtainium. And, and Cameron, he, it sounds cheesy, but he did that on purpose. Yeah, it's a humorous term yeah. used mainly in the aerospace industry, describes a material that is perfect for an application but does not exist, is extremely expensive, or violates the laws of physics. Its chemical symbol is UO, unobtainium, is a general concept term used by sci-fi enthusiasts for any fictional substance that is needed to build a certain device that is crucial to the plot of a sci-fi story. Unobtainium is also featured in The Core in 2003, which is pretty cool oh, sci-fi yeah, film, yeah, yeah, yeah. where the Earth-boring vessel called the Virgil has a hole made from unobtainium to help it withstand the <laughs> massive pressures inside the Earth's core. Unobtainium is also an anti-gravity element in the online multiplayer video game Skyrates. Nice. Which I'm sure we're all huge fans of. And what's, <laughs> what's very cool about Pandora is uh, the color blue is used so much in uh, what I read is that Cameron used blue for the Navi as a way of like making a parallel between Hindu gods because they're often blue in color. But yeah. and it's also interesting because blue is a very rare color you see in nature outside of water and the sky. I mean, obviously water is clear and it's reflecting the sky. And same thing with the sky. The sky is not blue. It's just the, the reflection of the sun rays as it goes through the atmosphere. So it's not like blue skies, aren't it? What? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, if you look at Earth from space, it's not there's not like a blue glow around it. You Are you I mean? kidding me? <laughs> but um, blue is very rare in nature here, and oftentimes if you if you run into a creature 
like an insect or some kind of amphibian that has blue, run. That's a very dangerous animal. That's uh, indicator of extreme amounts of poison. Highly venomous. So Surprised you're not blue. <laughs> so toxic. <laughs> I mean, it's even see, rare to see a blue butterfly. You know what I mean? True. It's such so a, if I see a blue butterfly, run, run. for my life. It's coming. It's, <laughs> it's coming to kill, kill you. Me. It's coming for you. <laughs> because of my purest list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you'll you'll basically see blue means it's safe with birds, just like a blue bird, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, that's basically it. Um, but in Pandora, everything's blue. Every animal has bluish tones and hues to it. The plant life has bluish colors. Even the the lights at nighttime, they're all a bluish tint. And so I thought it was a great contrast from Earth where blue is so rare in nature, where on Pandora, blue, blue is so common. I thought it was really fascinating. Yeah, and all the creatures on Pandora actually have six limbs except the Navi, which walk upright on two limbs and have arms just like human beings. And Pandora, I love the, the planet, the moon, and the concept of it in – this nature, this electrical connection and communication between plants and life, and it's so fascinating. And the spirituality in, t- in terms of it and the network of energy that th- flows through all living things. I love like when uh, the first time Jake is trapped on Pandora by himself when he's stuck with his, a- with his avatar on Pandora after he gets chased by that giant monster. And he's, he gets uh, separated from everybody else and he has to try to survive on his own. But like... Him walking just on like the on the trees, walking on the grass, and everything kind of glows around him. Everything you touch has some sort of connection, or it's communicating together. And all energy, uh, the concept that to the Navi that all energy is borrowed, and you must give it back at some point in your life. It's really fascinating. Yeah, I love the spirituality aspect of it. And you know, he wrote this great history, and it felt like this is it's a world that's been around for maybe even thousands of years and it seems like the traditions of the culture are really well thought out one of the strengths of the movie is the creation of this culture yeah, and the civilization yeah, the spirituality the religion aspect of it and I, I like the idea that the, the planet is like this gigantic like organic computer in a way mm-hmm. with like, uh, data storage of every being an entity that's ever lived on the planet yeah it's almost like magic to an yeah. extent like how they can like hear the voices of their ancestors from the vines that are coming down from the trees and like the trees like was it the tree of uh, what's the mother tree the mother tree well the mother tree is where they live but the oh the, the tree of tree. life the yeah. tree of life it's really fascinating too how like that's where their god their deity lives um what's the deity's name i just i just blanked on it jason no, Yua. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, Yua. I was kidding. Ewa. 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 So that's where Ewa, Ewa lives, and Ewa is a deity that, you know, it, it exists in this world. It's really fascinating. You could say that Ewa is the collective consciousness of the entire civilization's history. On the planet. Yeah, of the Not planet. just the civilization, yeah. because everything's connected. And a- Ewa, Ewa, yeah. Ewa answers their call and has the animals come and fight back against the humans. That's I'm, Dude, This that action scene is unbelievable. The final battle with when, like, all the ships flying in the air— through the floating mountains, and then all of a sudden, the Navi on their dragons just come down and just rain fire on them. It's unbelievable. Like, when that sequence is taking off, and I was in the theater, I was like, this is incredible, this this action sequence. It's yeah. unbelievable. But the concept in general of the technology used to create these avatar drivers of the Navi tribe by using human DNA with the Navis to grow these humanoid Navi beings that would be like if they were navi that's what they would yeah. be remote controlled by humans through a mind connection it's fascinating and you know you, it creates a nervous system that's in tune and the the concept that since jake sully's an identical twin and his twin passed away he was a scientist because he was a marine but because he's obviously still alive they need someone like they need him to operate the avatar because it's a an incredibly expensive what they call an ex- incredibly expensive piece of hardware, you could yeah. say, and how they need because he has the same genome and DNA basically of his brother. They need him to operate it, even though he has no training, no background. He's not a scientist. He, he doesn't speak Navi. He doesn't even know what the Navi culture is like. But they need him because they need someone to operate that avatar. And it's a great character to have him um, paralyzed from the waist down. You know, he's, he hasn't walked for who knows how long. And, you know, for him to finally be able to stand on his feet again, it's a great moment when he first transfers his consciousness into his avatar. And it's yeah. really wonderful. It was a really great way to, like, become a champion for him as an audience member the first time you're watching it. Because, you know, you, you don't – obviously, you feel nothing but sympathy for somebody who has had an accident like that. You know, that happened to him because he's a Marine and he was in war and he became paralyzed from the waist down. But to watch him – feel his feet, feel his toes to stand up and to just 
pushed his limits immediately to run and sprint outside, even though he's never run an avatar body before. It's just really uplifting to watch. It's crazy how big they are, too. They're yeah. like 12 feet tall, and you know, that sounds tall, but when you see like him in the room with the humans, it, it, the doctors, it's like, oh my god, just his, his leg is as big as this person. And, and their arrows, yeah. like when the colonel gets shot with yeah. the arrows, they're enormous! Yeah, they're gigantic. It's like they can pierce through metal because they're so huge. And I love the, the scale difference between the Navi and human beings. It's yeah. crazy. And I like Grace a lot, played by Sigourney Reaver, who's the doctor who's in charge of this entire operation. Ripping butts all day. Yeah, <laughs> I, I read that um, Grace was basically based off James, Cam James Cameron, who's like obviously a very creative and genius intellect, but also stubborn and uh -huh. has a crazy work regimen and, and expects so much of their employees mm -hmm. and of their craft. And um, all of the cigarettes were CGI because Sigourney Weaver doesn't smoke and doesn't want to smoke even like fake cigarettes. Even the cigarette in her so fingers? So every, every cigarette that her, her character holds or smokes was CGI. She just mimed the act of smoking cigarettes the entire film. That's pretty funny. There's not a, one real cigarette in the movie. That's a great little character development of just like you learn who this kind of person is immediately. As soon as she opens up from her chamber, she's like, where's my cigarette? Yeah. What's wrong with this scene? Where's my cigarette? It's yeah, super exactly. funny. Yeah. It's unorthodox of what we usually think of as a scientist in the film because exactly. we always think of scientists as like purists in the lab, whereas they're just human beings. They have yeah. stuff like they do things like that like we do. Yeah, they have bad habits too. And it's a great um, dynamic of showing her authority as well by saying, like, I need, like, bring it to me. Like, I'm not going to get my own cigarette. You know who I am. I'm Grace. <laughs> and then Norm, who's played by, what's his name? The guy from Dodgeball. Um, he's, he's a solid That's just his name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like an, he's been studying Navi. He's been preparing for this Avatar mission for a long time. But he eventually becomes jealous of Jake because as Jake is operating the Avatar and he gets the in with the Navi tribe after Natiri saves him while he's on his own. And Jake, you know, Norm becomes jealous of that situation, that relationship that he's developing with the Navi and the tribe because he wanted that. But eventually they start to work together when Jake starts to come to their side completely because Jake becomes a conflicted character because he's a Marine and he wants to be a good Marine, obviously. So he's reporting both to the scientists, but he's also reporting to the Colonel, the Colonel, as well as Giovanni Ribisi's character of the structure of, of the Mother Tree and how to destroy it and how to. He's like, we need you. They're like, we need you to get the Navi out of there so we can just go in there because we're going in no matter what. You have a couple of months, but he's trying to be a good Marine. That's what that was his job for years and years. That's all he knows. But then he starts to love the Navi. A becomes conflicted where do I I'm helping both sides but now I have to choose between one. Yeah, and one of my favorite sequences of the movie is like the the 20 minute sequence of of Jake bonding with these these tribesmen. Uh, you know he goes hunting, he spends time with Natiri. You know he gets his dragon. All these amazing sequences, and it's just we show his journey over those two months where you know he becomes part of this community, and you know it's the best. It's probably the best two months of his entire life by far. And, the, and he's he's conflicted inside because he knows what's going to happen to them, but and yet he's is bonding so much and is falling in love with the culture and with Natiri. So it is a, a big conflict within him. Yeah, and Parker, played by Rabisi, he's the corporate interest. He's in charge of the funding and the entire project. It's which, pretty accurate. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I think they do a great job creating these uh, terrible human beings between him and the colonel. And he thinks they're lucky. Oh, we got a Marine. Are you kidding me? We got so lucky. He's a twin and he's a Marine. So he's going to be a special detail, uh, armored detail every time we go into Pandora. And he's like, oh, he's going to win the hearts and minds of the knaves. He's super ironic. But he just, he and the colonel just want Sully to get them out of there, get the Navi out of there so they can just destroy Mother Tree and get all that unobtained. Because most of the unobtainium on Pandora is below Mother Tree. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ironic. And that's probably why, you know, the unobtainium probably has something to do with the the Awa and whatever yeah. it is that that resource and i really one of the aspects to the the world that i really love is the connection that the navi can make with animals you know the joining of consciousness is just like jake and his avatar joining consciousnesses and you know first like that horse type creature he's trying to train and then you know the dragon he eventually he he picks says that picks him, and then he he connects with it, and then the the final like gigantic dragon, the red and yellow one, is just epic. But I love the idea of connecting the consciousness between uh, a navi and an animal. It's so fascinating. Yeah, with the halo, the yeah, hair connection, the hair connection is so cool. And the same thing with they, it's like they connect with the the roots in the same exact way. Yeah, that in the giant one that he gets with is the Leo. Leonopteryx, the Rider of Last Shadow. That's the Last Shadow is the nickname yeah. of it because, you know, as Jake Sully is with the tribe and he gets their trust, he becomes a member of the tribe. You know, he's officially a member, a part of their tribe, of the Navi. 
And then obviously they learn of his betrayal because he knew about the mission the entire time that the, the humans were going to come in and destroy Mother Tree. Whether they were there or not, they were going to come for the unobtainium. You know, unobtainium for the humans, it's worth $20 million per kilo, which is about two and a quarter pounds. And you can imagine there's probably a mountain of unobtainium under Mother Tree. So obviously being greedy as hell, corporate interests, they want to get all of it. And so it's a lot of money. You know, when Jake Sully tells them of this betrayal and obviously it forces Neytiri to to despise him and then he's unplugged you know it's, it's a horrible situation when the humans eventually come in and attack without them with them still being there and they start blowing up mother tree yeah and just like i said earlier it's just an absolutely devastating scene it's so tragic and you know it's horrible to see what these soldiers are doing to these innocent beings it's terrible now before we continue i get to tell you about MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Head on over to their website and check out their gigantic selection. They have pretty much every film imaginable, all sorts of TV shows, all every size, framing, backlighting imaginable. Whatever your poster needs are, you got to get them at MoviePosters.com. Our set is decorated with so many of these amazing posters. They're high-quality stuff. Don't go to Amazon for your posters. It's just poor stuff. Like This stuff is high-quality printing. It looks amazing on your walls. We couldn't recommend it enough. Head on over to MoviePosters.com. Use our special promo code Raiders10. Again, Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. I love, like you were talking about how Jake Sully is bonding with the tribe and, you know, Neytiri. I love the Banshee test, which is, you know, that's the name of the dragons. That thank you. Talk thank about you when yeah. He has to get his own Banshee, which is really great. And you make that connection for life. Uh, I really enjoy the sequences of how, you know, he's he's trying to ride the horses that they have, but he's not good at it. But when he gets his banshee, he's like, man, I'm not a horse guy, but I was born to fly. And it's an inc- incredible talent, a natural talent that he has, because even though he's not a scientist, even though he didn't speak a word of Navi, there's something about Jake Sully that makes him a great leader. His heart. You know, it's his Yeah, he's got a that's huge what the, heart. That's what the force recognizes him immediately. And that's why Neytiri says, you have a good soul. That's why I didn't kill you. I could see that in you when the, when the, the little floaty the guys. floating what are they? The seeds of yeah, the, the seeds tree of, of the life tree, yeah. come down and float around him. It's you could say that he's sort of like a prophesied figure from Awa, a message from Awa to the Navi that you need him in order to survive. Yeah, and this is someone that you keep alive. Yeah, and, and he'll save you from the humans. After Jake's betrayal and he's unplugged, and they eventually get booted back up with the help is of this the Matrix, or <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what it is. That's yeah. what he's unplugged, and then they have they actually they escape their holding cell, and with the help of uh. Uh, Letty from Fast and Furious. <laughs> <laughs> Family. And they connect back in. Jake Sully has to figure out a way to get the trust back of the tribe, of the Navi, even though he's betrayed them, even though they all hate him. How is he going to get their blessing back? And he does it by getting the Leonopteryx and becomes the next rider of Last Shadow. And he shows up. I wish they showed the sequence of yeah. it. But it's, it's, it's really great. cool. He yeah. like, he's like, he's like he's, it's the biggest thing in the sky. No one's ever attacked it. So I I figured like that was a theory at first. And they show him just falling down on top of it. Mm-hmm. And then he shows up with it. And obviously all the Navi are like, oh my God, he's one of us. Yeah, it's like showing up with like a Hummer with spinning rims. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the rims, this spinning, this spinning. <laughs> But then we get to see the expansive nature of Pandora with all the tribes. And then Stephen Lang's character, the Kerner, points out when they're looking at the graphics, the readings of the, the of the uh, tree, how the the number of um, Navi increased from like a few thousand to over 20,000. It could be and it could be up to 100,000 in another day or two. Now, I'm sure it's just a fraction of what we're going to see going forward. Yeah, because the size of the planet is enormous. Mm-hmm. It's gigantic. It's so much bigger than Earth. So there's got to be. Hundreds and millions and even maybe even billions of uh, different uh, uh, Navi-type tribes. Let me see how big Pandora is compared to Earth. Yeah, I'm curious. How big is Pandora compared to Earth? Um, its mass is that of – oh, it's only 72% that of Earth. So it's smaller than Earth? Yeah. Oh, interesting. 
Yeah, I guess the way they filmed smaller. it, the film, the way they filmed it, made it seem bigger. Yeah, but it's not like a technologically advanced world where yeah. they've uh, globalization has occurred. You it's know? still just tribes. Yeah, yeah, small tribes here and there. Yeah, sprinkled around. But you know, the third act is crazy. You know, this all-out war, basically. In fortunately, the Navi, uh, even though the humans have superior technology, the Navi have superior fighting methods, and, and obviously, Awa is on their on their aid. And even though they start to lose the battle, Awa comes to help, and all yeah. the animals of Pandora come to fight for Pandora's survival. Yeah, and I love when Jake takes out the big ship by throwing the grenades in t- inside of his engines. It's just so badass. And then, and then the Colonel, he's inside the the exploding ship, and he jumps into an exosuit and just jumps out of the ship and just lands like a total badass. Total ho- horrible villain, but yeah. total badass. What a great shot! That, and he did it all in one shot. It's it's amazing. Yeah, they really built the exosuit. Yeah. They really destroyed that ship, <laughs> and he really jumped out. Chris Nolan style. Yeah, big time. And, and then I love <laughs> the fight between Natiri and the Colonel. Um, because you can see just how strong the Navi are be fighting this exosuit. And then what I think the best moment of the film is when they, they finally kill the colonel, but Jake is exposed to the environment because the colonel broke open the window and took him out of his little chamber. And so he's suffocating. And then Natiri figures out what to do, gets inside of the, the that little area, and then puts the, the breathing mask on him and saves his life. And then... When the two of them look at each other and he's just in his human form, but they still have the connection and they both say, I love you to each other. I think that's the best moment of the movie. Oh, they say, I see you. I see you. I'm sorry. I see, they say, I see you to each other. Yeah. So humans yeah. can't breathe on Pandora because of the high concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere makes it extremely poisonous to humans, but obviously renders incredible growth and robust life for plant life yeah. throughout the entire yeah, planet. Yeah, plants need CO2. Yeah. So it's very helpful. They love to breathe it in. <laughs> and you know, Jake Sully... I love how they they win the battle, and one of my favorite lines is is how it's the voiceover of Jake Sully. I like the voiceover throughout the entire film yeah. of, of Sully. Yeah. I think it works pretty well. Uh, most most films when that try it doesn't always work great, but I think it's solid for this. And you know, he says the line where the aliens went back to their dying world, and yeah. Jake has become a he's become a Navi. Obviously, with Grace, they tried with the help of Awa to transfer her consciousness into her avatar. Uh, Navi body, but it didn't work because she was too weak from the fatal wound she received from the gunshot from the colonel. But fortunately, at the end of the film, it's a great final shot where Jake Sully, with the help of Awa and the tribe, his consciousness is transferred to his Navi body, so he's completely Navi now. He doesn't need to be plugged in. Yeah, a great final shot of his eye opening up. It's just really great. Because it's always it's always tough because like even though he's Navi, he's still inside that chamber asleep, basically. Yeah, like, like, like in, halfway through the film, whenever he wakes up in his human form, he's like, ah, man, this is like the, this is not where I want to be. Yeah, because everything becomes backwards for him. You know, the, the reality is in there and the, the artificial world is, is when he wakes up. You yeah. know, he, he can't stand it anymore. He wants to be back in Pandora, he wants to be with the Navi because that's what he truly loves and feels inside of his heart. Exactly. I, I'm very excited to see what the story is gonna, how the story is gonna unfold for Jake Sully and Natiri. I, I'm so curious what James Cameron has in store for, for us. For real, and I'm sure it's gonna be epic, and the technology is gonna be even more advanced than we can imagine because what he did with this film was absolutely groundbreaking. And then uh, Kate Blanchett is a, a new character as well. Oh, is she really? Yeah. I mean, Kate Kate Winslet. Kate, oh I'm yeah, sorry. Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. Because she broke Tom Cruise's underwater mouth. Six I mean, minutes. Uh, ho- breath holding. <laughs> Bre- mouth holding. Underwater mouth holding. Breath holding for over six minutes because Tom did that in Mission Impossible. He really did everybody. I know people in the comments are like, oh, he never really did that. Ugh, they cut it up. The haters. Sorry, we're being purists right now. <laughs> Kate Winslet, purists. Kate we're Winslet, bullies. She held her breath for over six we're minutes. Bullies. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. And there's a, there's, a, there's a photo behind the scenes, which is pretty incredible, too, yeah. of her in the whole suit and everything. Yeah. So I can't wait to see what James Cameron's doing with the next ones. I think it's going to be amazing. I really do. It's going to be epic. I don't know. Maybe it'll make a billion dollars. Maybe not. But I'm going to enjoy it's the gonna make. It. We're for sure going to go see it yeah. in IMAX 3D if that's what they're doing again. I don't see it beating Avatar's box office, but I think it will definitely make over a billion. There may be never a movie that ever does. I don't know. It, for what it did, that's incredible because yeah. Endgame was like a buildup of 20 years of films yeah. to get to that. Well. 15 years. 15 years. So 12 years. 12 years. 2008 to 2019. 11 years. Well, we count pre-production Iron Man. Shut up. <laughs> it was not out. People weren't like, oh my God, can't believe, I can't wait for Iron Man. It just got announced. Right. So 11 years in what, like 17 movies, yeah, yeah. something like that, yeah. to that point to get $2.8 billion box it's office. It's impressive that Avatar did it with just one movie. It's really amazing. With no background on yeah. anything about it. Yeah. It's all because of the technology, really, mm-hmm. and what he pulled off. But um, Want to move on to some film. trivia? Yeah, let's do it. 
All right. So the Navi language was created entirely by scratch by linguist Dr. Paul R. Frommer. James Cameron hired him to construct a language that would be easy for the actors to pronounce, but would not resemble any human language. Frommer created over 1,000 words. Avatar was nominated for nine Academy Awards. It won Best Achievement in Cinematography for Mauro Fiore, Best Achievement in Visual Effects, and Best Achievement in Art Design. Hurt Locker beat it for Best Picture and Director. Yeah, that was Catherine Bigelow's year. At the time of auditioning for the character Jake Sully in Avatar, Sam Worthington was a broke actor living in his car. Afterwards, he became a star in multiple blockbuster films and is going to be starring in the rest of the Avatar franchise. And didn't he do the his first read on the phone, like a phone uh, reading? With There's a, a phone call. Yeah, yeah, just like, hey, read some lines for us and see how it goes. Well, the phone call, I read that he didn't even know what it was for or who he was going to be talking to. His agent just said, hey, we have a, a call you can take for an audition. And so he almost didn't even take the call because he's like, oh, it's just another dumb role. Another waste of yeah. time to do this inter- this phone call. Mm-hmm. Director James Cameron is famous for being very tough on set, and allegedly during the filmmaking of Avatar, he kept a nail gun on set that he would use to nail cell phones that had the misfortune of ringing during filmmaking. He would nail them on an exit si- above an exit sign on the wall. Composer James Horner, who did an incredible job in this movie, stated that this was his most difficult film and the biggest challenge of his career. He said in an interview that he worked on the music for Avatar from 4 a.m. to 10 p.m. for a year and a half. It's a great score. It's really good. Man, that's insane. What a work ethic. For Avatar, to help the actors prepare for their roles, director James Cameron took the cast and crew to Hawaii, where they spent their days trekking through forests and jungle and living like tribesmen building campfires and eating fish and hunting in order to get a better sense of what it would be like to live and move around the jungle on Pandora since there would not be any actual jungle sets on the film. Zoe Zaldana even dressed up as a warrior during these journeys, complete with an alien tale symbolic of her Navi character, Natiri. Jake Sully's atrophy legs were actually not CGI but a real practical effect. They were prosthetics, prosthetics that were cast from the legs of a real paraplegic. Sam Worthington's real legs were tucked underneath the wheelchair and then digitally removed in post-production. According to a CNN report, James Cameron visited the Brazilian rainforest more than once after receiving outcries from tribal leaders inspired by this film. During one visit, Cameron was a real-life Jake Sully with war paint on his face and a spear in his hand. He met with 18 indigenous tribal leaders to plan a battle to stop the construction of a proposed dam. That's awesome. That's good for my trivia. Right, well, anymore? Yeah, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Avatar. We can't wait for next year, Christmas Day, I believe, is the release date to see Avatar two. Finally, hopefully, we get some trailers and some images and some little teasers very soon because I can't wait to check it out. I'm sure the posters are going to be very cool. And you know, the mind of James Cameron is so fascinating. Every time he puts something new out for cinemas, and he's only done one movie this century, which yeah. is absurd <laughs> for a feature length film. So I can't wait to check it out, everyone. Be sure to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in around the world. Take care, everyone. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson. Here's to the great American settlers. The millions of you who settled for unsatisfying jobs because they pay the bills. Of course, there is something else you could do if you got something to say. Start a podcast with Spreaker from iHeart and unleash your creative freedom. Maybe even earn enough money to one day tell your old boss, Hey, I'm no settler. I'm an explorer. Spreaker.com. S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Hustle on over today.